But I'm thankful that we're here because today we get to hear a great message from Byron. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I mentioned in the first service that, you know, Ben being in Sin City like that, when the earth starts to quake, um, you might really be worried about that, right? What did I miss? Did I get left behind? Uh, Good morning. My name is Byron Perry. I'm part of the teaching team here at Dallas Church, Um, although I don't get to be up here very much. Just for some background information, I'm a professional engineer. I work for Kiewit Infrastructure Engineers. My office is in Inglewood, Colorado, and I'm currently working on a project in Federal Way, Washington. So I get paroled two days a week to come home, and other than that, I'm pretty much on the road uh, full time. Uh, The project I happen to be working on in Federal Way is, if you've been up there in the Seattle area, they have what's called the Sound Transit Link, which is the light rail. And we're building eight miles of link, uh, three miles of aerial guideway, and five miles of grade. Okay, that was a nerd moment. And that's just kind of to give you a little little perspective that, yes, I'm an engineer, uh, might be an engineer once in a while. So we've been talking about our my verses. And uh, each of the leadership team has gone through their verse. And this is the last Sunday of the series, like Ben said. And I get to wrap it up. So if you haven't heard them, you can binge listen to the, uh, the podcast that we have on these on the Dallas Church app. So, so far what we've got in the My Life verses, uh, week one, Ben Bauman went through Philippians 4.13. It's his life verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Week two, we heard from Jeff Geiger, Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Week three and week four, I can kind of lump together. This is good for a summary, right? Because both David Bessenbacher and John Ellingson, their life verse is uh, contained in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then if you were here last week, Andrew Bullock went through his life verse, which is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. So now it's my turn to go through my life verse. And you'll have to wait just a little bit before the reveal, because as Ben said, it's a super secret thing. Not really, but we'll just pretend it is for a minute. Let's open in, in prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to deliver the message. And I pray that you would just um, make this meaningful to those who can hear it. And we know that the word says that, that your word is not returned void. So I pray that that would be the case this morning. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the world, particularly the United States, demands excellence. And what do I mean by that? I've heard many people use the phrase that the United States is a meritocracy. Anybody familiar with that concept, right? You gain success or wealth based on the merit and based on your merit and hard work. It's ingrained in our culture from our youngest age where we strive for perfection. We want to get those A grades in school from the first time you're in there, and I know in the, the early grades, you don't necessarily get A, B, Cs. Sometimes they're satisfactory, excellent. 
but there's still that, that conditioning that what you want to get is the highest grade possible. You want to graduate valedictorian, summa cum laude, get that next promotion, keep your current job, or you know, fill in the blank. Linda and I recently had an opportunity to go to this little remote town in southern Oregon, Klamath Falls, to watch Liam graduate from Oregon Tech. So Liam graduated, for those of you that don't know, with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. Um, Oregon Tech, in my opinion, is a good school. It's the only polytechnic university in the, in the Northwest. Basically, if you're going to Oregon Tech, you know what you want to do because it doesn't have a lot of liberal arts majors. It has two colleges in the university. It has the College of Engineering, Mathematics, and Business, and it has the College of Health Sciences. And pretty much 97% of their graduating class knows where they're headed when they graduate. They've already got a job, and the average salary coming out of there is pretty good. There are about 900 students graduating, and several, particularly in the College of Health Sciences, were graduating with honors. You may have heard the phrase cum laude, magna cum laude, summa cum laude. I don't know if you know what those mean. They're Latin phrases. Most of us don't take Latin in school because it's a dead language. If you've homeschooled, you might know what it means. But cum laude simply means with honors. Magna cum laude means with high honors. And summa cum laude, anybody want to take a guess? With highest honors. Uh, the summa comes from the Latin where we get our word summit. So it is the, the pinnacle of these are the best of the best. It's a big accomplishment. I remember in, in university when I realized that some kids, the smart kids, right, get better grades than I do. Uh, and that I'm judged based on a high or sometimes perfect scale. Not always were things graded on a curve. Sometimes it's, there's 100%, 90, 80, 70, 60. Don't get me wrong, I, I managed to graduate cum laude with honors, um, you know, by the skin of my teeth, getting in there. Um, but there were those students who got that 3.98 on a four-point scale. I mean, in engineering and in health sciences disciplines, that's a pretty impressive uh, accomplishment. I mean, these are really smart people. Not me. I'm not one of them. So a little sidebar, I did have an experience that allowed me to get a, a peek into what that might be like. Upper division class, structural analysis two. It's called indeterminate structures, and I can tell you what that means later, but I won't nerd out on you right now. We basically were graded on a midterm and a final. That's where we got all of our grades, so you know, there's some pressure there to do well on the midterm and the final. Oregon Tech is where I went to school, so that's my alma mater as well. And just for a little perspective, the classes generally are smaller there, so you get more time with the professor. So our Structural Analysis two class started with 23 people in it. Pretty small class. By the end of the class, we had seven. Pretty high attrition rate in that class because by the time you get your midterm grade back, you look at that and you're like, I can still withdraw without that thing showing up on my transcript. Okay? So I can... I can exit the class and get out of here and, and, and preserve that hope of getting high honors. So when Dr. Stevens, the professor, tall, thin guy, deep, gravelly voice because he smoked like a chimney, although you could always find him and ask him questions right outside the building because he needed to take a 
smoke break before classes, he was handing out the, the midterms. Now, you know, this is a pretty full class, but 23, he would still hand them out personally. And he hands out the midterms and uh, hands me my test, and my jaw just about hits the floor. I had a perfect score. You know, I'm like, where did this come from? I think he might have been thinking the same thing. <laughs> Truth is, I probably didn't really get a perfect score because of all my professors, he was the one where even if you got the right answer, if you didn't outline your process along the way, he would deduct points. So to get a perfect score, the only one I got in university, the whole four years, it was just like, I couldn't fathom that. It was unbelievable. I began to understand his rationale because I think he gave me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. As he kind of walked up, he had a long piece of chalk in his fingers, like he was holding a cigarette. And he walked up to me and he said, and Mr. Perry, is going to review the midterm for you on the chalkboard. If you have any questions, you can ask him. I didn't like that position at all. That's not a good place to be. There's a lot of pressure. Perfection is a tough place to be and it's an even harder place to stay. I did not repeat that performance on my final. I don't know if that's because I didn't want to explain the final on the chalkboard, because, you know, chalk is, yeah. But I didn't repeat that. I managed to get out of the class with a reasonable grade. Now, why am I telling you this? Because my verse is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am not equating perfect grades to sinning by any stretch of the imagination, because if I were, well, you know, yeah, that would just be all kinds of bad. But I've been thinking about what that means in our society as we're conditioned for perfection and striving to do the best. We want to be in the top spot. I mean, we've all heard the phrase, he or she who dies with the most toys wins. I would ask the question, wins what? But okay, we'll just, we're taught and conditioned that there's a limited supply of everything. Toys, cars, motorcycles, fossil fuels, minerals, food, money, timber, supplies to build things. There's always this limited, finite supply of things. And we need to get our fair share, and maybe more, right? We're a competitive society, so I want a piece of that pie, which means that someone else might get maybe a smaller piece. Um, I want a bigger house. I want a higher wage, I want a, a bigger profit, a larger 401k, faster motorcycle, taller truck, whatever that is, fill in the blank. It's competitive because we want to be the biggest, the best, the top, have the highest honors. Somehow show that we're the smartest ones in the class. Well, we all know kind of how that ends, right? Do we get to stay at the top? Is that the same when we're a disciple of Christ? When we're a Christ follower, is that what it's all about, being the best, the top of the class? As a Christian, the grace of Jesus Christ is infinite. It's not resource constrained. There's not a shortage there of his grace and forgiveness. That's a good thing. 
Because how many people have sinned? Okay, let's take a poll here. You guys ready? Okay, I could ask, raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, I just made it easy. That way you don't get your exercise. How about if you've sinned? Okay, yeah, I'm in that camp. Jesus forgave the Roman guards that nailed him to the cross. That's a big deal when you think about that. The pie of forgiveness and Jesus' grace just gets bigger the more people are saved. It's infinite. That's a difficult concept for us to fathom in the society where we're conditioned that there's always a top spot, that there's a limited supply. But that should also influence who we follow, Christ. As Christ followers, we know that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, pretty much everybody can probably quote that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life in whatever version you're saying it. I, I drop into the King James Version, you know, because that's the one that you hear a hundred times when you're growing up. And we want to do our best but sometimes that competitive culture can work its way into our minds regarding our own salvation. Often I think we or I look at others and say, well, I'm, I'm better than he is, or I've tipped that scale, you know, in my favor. I'm at 51%, you know, I'm there, I've, I've, I've arrived. Is that good enough? Have I punched my ticket to heaven? Have I earned my ticket to heaven? Okay, everybody knows I'm joking about earning your ticket to heaven, I hope. You may have heard the one about safari. I had a friend of mine who recently went on an African safari and I had to kind of joke with him. I said, so who is the slower person than you? Because you know it's not that you have to outrun the lion, you just have to outrun your neighbor, right? When you're on safari. So it's that whole, I'm better than you. So let's do a little exercise. Because a lot of times some people are like, yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I keep the Ten Commandments. Anybody heard that? I'm good, I keep the Ten Commandments, we're all good. All right, so we'll take Exodus 20 apart here a little bit. Oh, kind of, gonna get ready to do a little, little Ten Commandment exercise. Okay, you shall have no other God before me. Got it, one God, I'm good. You shall not make a carved image or likeness. Yeah, I'm not the artistic type. I don't have to worry about that. I couldn't carve an image if I wanted to. I think I'm pretty safe there. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, I'm pretty good on that. I think I got that. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, like I said, I work five days. I get paroled on the weekend. So Saturday, I'm good. Sunday, Resurrection Day, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm okay on that. Honor your father and mother. Okay, yeah, reasonable, yeah, maybe 50, 51%, okay. You shall not murder. Got it, didn't do it, I'm good, got that one. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, good there, Taking, not, not a problem. You shall not steal, pretty good, got that one covered. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, I haven't been in court in years, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, no false witness, you know, you're on the stand swearing on a Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. You shall not covet, uh, okay, you know, that's, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good, right? 
Anybody? Everybody pretty good with the Ten Commandments, right? We're all good. You guys all know this is a setup, don't you? You're like, oh, I'm just waiting for the punchline. All right. So let's look at the Ten Commandments a little differently. You shall not put anything before God. I guess that includes family, friends, the internet, Netflix, motorcycle, ga online gaming, maybe that smartphone in your pocket that you spend all that face time. Anybody get their screen report on Sunday morning? It always seems to come in. Oh, you've spent this much time looking at your phone. Oh, great. Uh, okay, so, you know, maybe I, I, I kind of I didn't do so well on that first one. Okay, so, but Ten Commandments... 90%, that's still an A, right? Hey, that's still, what, what are we at? That's, that's uh, magna cum laude, I'm, I'm good, okay. Okay, you shall not make a carved image or likeness. Huh. I wonder what that means in today's society, likeness. You know, I, I was looking at my iCloud photo account the other day and I have like 19,201 photos. I do like to show people likenesses of my granddaughter and send them videos. And, and I don't know that that's a sin, but yeah, maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm too focused on that. Maybe that's something I could work on. But okay, okay, so second one, not so good. 80%, still a B, that's above average. I'm good, that's a 3.0. We're, okay, we're off the high honors, but I'm, I'm good, right? You shall not use the Lord, the name of the Lord in vain. OMG. Oh, what, oh, man, what about, oh, yeah. And then somebody pointed out after first service, they're like, yeah, there's that time when the guy cuts you off in traffic and you're, ooh, yeah, that road rage thing. Yeah, okay, so, well, I mean, 70%. C, C's get degrees. We're good, right? C, I've got seven out of 10. We're, we're good. Okay, I might be getting a little nervous. Um, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay, right? Saturday, that's the Sabbath. Sunday's Resurrection Day. Saturday, I don't, I mean, I don't work on Saturday. Well, I, I, yeah, I might check email. Um, and I've, I've cooked and I guess cleaned and mowed the lawn. I've driven a car. Um, okay, so train wreck on the Sabbath. I, yeah, okay, I, I didn't keep that one either. Um, I don't know what a 60% is. I don't think that's good. But it's better than 50%, right? I'm still tipping the scale. I'm still overall, I'm balanced over 50%. All right, honor your father and mother. I got half of this down. For those of you that don't know, my dad passed away a couple of years ago. So I should get like an automatic 5% on that one because, I, you know, that's not necessarily... Uh, but then there's that time when I get a little frustrated with my mom. She, she calls me for tech support, and she tells me there's this thing on my computer, and I can't unlock it, and, and I don't know what to do, and do I allow it? Do I decline it? What do I do here? And, ah, oh, yeah, okay, so maybe I struggle with that a little bit. All right, so I'm at 50%. Well, I'm at 55%, right? I got that, I, you know, I maybe got half the equation on that last one, so I'm at 55%. Oh, good. You shall not murder. I am, I'm good. I got one. Okay. You shall not commit adultery. I'm good there too. 
Well, there, oh man, there was that thing in Matthew 5.28 where if you just look at a woman and it's like not uh, maybe the most purest intent you've committed. Oh man, so that means I, oh, maybe I, I screwed up on that one. And if I apply that to the one before, and I just wanted that guy to take a long walk on a short pier because that guy that cut me off in traffic and I used it. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm back to 5% good. Okay. I got three left. I can do this. You shall not steal. I think I'm good on this. Oh, yeah, I took that pen home. Yeah, and I might not have accounted for that long lunch on my timesheet. Okay, so maybe that's not so good. I got two left. Maybe I can come, maybe I can squeak out one or two of these. I don't know. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I haven't been in court in years. I think I'm covered on this. I think I'm good. <sighs> At least I'm not like Ben. I mean, you hear that time when he was, ooh. Yeah, there's that gossip thing. And I'm just going to throw Covet out because I'm sure I, yeah, that motorcycle was awesome and he's in a great house and, okay, so maybe I got 5% out of 100. That's a great, it's not good. Okay, so now we've established that I am far, far, far from perfect. How about you? So we know we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So then what are we to do about that? So Satan wants us to think that I've done too much wrong. And God will not forgive me. So I should just give up. The pie is finite. His grace is this limited little bit, and I've used my fair share of that, and it's all used up, and there's no more to give. You're done. Forget it. There's ample evidence to convict me, and if there were a jury of 12 of my peers, they'd probably go, yep, guilty, done. But how should we as disciples respond to sin? What examples should we follow when it comes to how to deal with sin? We follow Christ's example. In John 8, 3, the scribes brought a woman who was caught in adultery, and I'm sure that it was in the heat of the moment. I don't think they gave her a chance. And by the way, there was, there was who else involved in that? There was a he involved in that too, I'm sure. But they dragged her out and were ready to convict her, and the prescribed punishment for that was stoning, right? So they were ready to take her out, drag her out, and stone her on the street. So what did Jesus do? Hey, if you're without sin, you'd be the first one to grab a rock and throw it. Pretty much diffused the situation. I think a few people probably begrudgingly went, oh, fine, drop the rock. And then what did he say to her? He didn't say you should be ashamed of your, your sin. I think she was shamed enough. I don't think that's my call. But Jesus just said, go and sin no more. So if you or I had a stone and it was on your chair this morning 
would you be worthy to pick up that stone and hurl it at me? I hope you wouldn't, I hope you don't. Um, am I without sin? Certainly not. Are you without sin? Christ didn't condemn the world, the woman caught in adultery. Christ loved the person. Can we be that community of Christians that knows what it is to sin, because we're all sinners, admits our own sin, and helps someone struggling in that sin? I've heard us saying, don't hate the sinner, hate the sin. Alternatively, I'd like to propose a little different phrase. Love on the sinner hate the sin. Christ shows compassion and mercy and grace. If we want Satan to win in this, then we devour the sinner, we kick them to the curb, we show no mercy, we flunk them out of society, we start a Facebook campaign to shame them, we boycott their business or their employer until they get fired, we ostracize them from society. That's if we follow the model that Satan would have, convicting you of your sin, not extending you the grace of Jesus Christ. I am not advocating for sin. I'm not saying we should all sin so that grace abounds. Sin has consequences. And forgiveness does not mean that there will not be other consequences because of the sin. There's a three-step process that has been taught, a number of, you know, repentance, restitution, and restoration. Repentance is confessing the sin. Restitution might not be fun. Restitution might mean prison, might mean loss of a job, loss of a marriage, divorce, sickness, death, or any number of things. Restoring the relationship might mean years, decades, or never in this lifetime. The key is this lifetime. God's got an eternal perspective and his forgiveness is complete. It's our choice to accept that forgiveness and understand that the pie is infinite. That's how, it, how we determine if we spend eternity with God or separated from God. Not how we spend our relatively short life on this earth. If we as a church culture, and I'm not talking Dallas church and the group of people that are in here, but as a Christian church fellowship, our body as a whole are so pious and self-righteous that we have no room for grace, it's not a wonder that our church is shrinking. If we're more loving as Christ followers, this is a good place to be. Coming through those doors in the back doesn't mean you have to be perfect. We're all sinners. There's no way I could have kept a perfect grade in my structural analysis class. I'm just telling you from, you know, it was a fluke. It was a one-off. Falling from the top spot means someone else gets to be in that top spot. It's difficult to stay at the top. And we all know that there will be a fall. It doesn't stop us from trying to be at the top or get back to the top. We want to be good. There is one, however, who is at the top spot always, Christ. It's why we want to follow Christ and not Ben, not Jonathan, not David, 
not Andrew, not Jeff, and you guys all know, particularly not me, because I, I can't keep any of those commandments. Whew. So we know Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not most, not some, not many, but all. Don't follow me. I know what I deserve. My wages are death. Romans road is, is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the answer. We're all sinners, but God provided a way for us. Interestingly enough, if you think about how the world phrases it, we don't get a saved certificate that says we, we are saved magna cum laude. Cum laude. There are unimaginable things happening in this world, in our country and in our town. We may not want to forgive someone who's done something really bad, right? There are some things out there you're like, oh, I just can't believe that guy, just tear him apart. I can't believe he did that. That's horrible. If you've read the book by Bob Goff, Everybody Always, and I don't want to give spoilers out. It's a really good book, and it's a very humbling book to read. There are some horrible atrocities committed by people in Africa, witch doctors that do things that are just unimaginable. And yet God can find forgiveness for those individuals. The forgiveness pie is infinite. We all graduate the same, saved, period. So in the, whoops, my verse series, here's what I've learned. See if I can put this all together. I've learned that I can do all things through God who gifted me with talents and abilities because God has a plan for me that is good, not a bad plan, but one of future and hope eternally. We should strive to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, not of the world, but influencing the world with our love. If we trust in the Lord and believe in him, he will provide a way for us that is better than anything we could imagine. We may stumble and make mistakes, but that's okay. None of us are perfect. If we've accepted Christ, we're forgiven. We should strive to show each other the love that Christ showed the church. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to deliver the message. Thank you for Dallas Church. Thank you that we can be a loving and acceptable place to bring those that are not perfect. Thank you for this group of followers, for the worship team, for Ben, for the leadership that's shown here. Thank you for the forgiveness that you've given me. Just pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was powerful. That was powerful, wasn't it? Thank you, Byron. The scriptures tell us, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ.
by grace you have been saved. That's good news. Right now we're going to take some time and really think about that. Think about the cross. Think about what Jesus did for us on that cross so long ago. He told us, whenever you gather, remember. Remember. Remember what I did. Remember my love for you. We're going to celebrate that now. If you're a follower of Jesus, in the next few minutes, the band's going to play some music, sing some songs here, meditate, think about these things, and then come forward as you, as you can. And There's some bread and some juice, and we take the bread, we dip it in the juice to remind us of his broken body, his blood that was shed for us so long ago because of his great love for us. By grace, we have been saved. It's a gift. And that's what we celebrate right now. So the band's going to play some songs. Feel free to come forward. There's also a place to, to extend your worship through giving and sacrificing your resources. And that's a, a little way that we can kind of mimic a little about what, what Jesus did for us on the cross, a little way to kind of remind us. So in the next few moments, come forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the free gift given to us through your son Jesus and the price that he paid for us. Thank you that you, by grace, have saved us, even though we are all sinners and we fall short of your glory. Father, as we come and we remember what you did for us, help us to, to, to not only remember uh, the sacrifice, but the joy that you have for us, for every one of us, because of your great love. So, Lord, we spend some time now focusing on you and the cross and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.